You are listening to WHOA Podcast, coming to you from Gainesville, Florida. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the WHOA GNV Podcast, the Coronavirus Sessions. Just remind everybody, every weekday at noon, we're bringing you a little half-hour session with our community leaders, our community businesses, and, and a whole bunch of other individuals just to find out how they're navigating the coronavirus and and do whatever we can to really limit the impact of this on Gainesville, on our businesses, and on you know just on our community. Um, so I'm really excited to get into it. And before I do, I want to remind everybody, because James always tells me that I forget to introduce myself. <laughs> he's like, he's editing these. He's like, you always forget to introduce yourself. My name is Colin Austin and uh, I'm the founder of New Scooters for Less and the CEO, my man, Michael Dees, my co-host. What is up, dude? How are you? Dude, I'm well. It's another day uh, going through this. I still have my health, so that's most important. On the scooter side, we still got some, uh, still got some sales trickling in, some stores trickling in. So at least it's not completely stagnant, which is good. Just trying to find ways to keep the ball moving, you know. Yeah, I wanted to uh, let everybody know that this particular episode is going to be sponsored by us, New Scooters for Less. Um, yeah. You know, one of the things that has been on the rise, one of the things that has been on the rise um, because of this has been bicycle sales. I don't know if you guys have seen this, like bicycle sales have been on the rise. I think there's just a lot more people at home. They want to go riding, you know, bikes in their neighborhood with their kids and that kind of thing. So I really want to remind our audience that we sell electric bicycles. Um, you know, Bentelli is our distributor and we have those uh, Bentelli e-bikes and they're really, really cool. And so, uh, you know, if you want to like pedal for the first mile to keep up with the kids, but then you like get tired. You can just like give it a little bit of that e juice, and like <laughs> you can probably like speed past the kids with the with the juice there. Uh, but but yeah, just uh, if you if you're interested in getting one of those, of course, like right now we're one of the businesses that is really hurting because of this thing. We could uh, definitely appreciate the sales. So if you're looking for an e bike, you want to spend time uh, with the family or riding around the neighborhood, then then I'm gonna have them reach out to you, Mike. So just that's email that's Mike, that's email Mike at nsrl.com. Uh, heck, if you need to buy it and us deliver it to you, like we, we can figure out a way to make it all work for sure. Um, but we re- really appreciate your support during this time. And I don't want to waste any more time. I want to get right into it because we have a very special guest on the show today. My friend, Eric Godet from the Chamber of Commerce, CEO of the Chamber of Commerce. Eric, thanks for being on the show and joining us today, man. I know you are swamped with things. Well, I am, but you know, like I said to you earlier, it's a pleasure for me and all of the staff at the chamber to help our businesses during this time. It's a critical period. It's a period where we at the chamber want to make sure we're sharing our commitment with the whole community and making sure we're there to answer any questions, put forth any issues or challenges to our county commission, our local cities. We want to make sure I apologize. No, you're good. And, uh, but it's really, uh, one of those uh, challenges. I have two different phones in here because it gets crazy. I'm, in addition, there you go. Both like we said, he's swamped. He's swamped, yeah. eh? He's like trying to carve out. It's uh, for us. And it's like going, going, going. It's okay. So it's really, you know, we want to just assure our community that our focus is making sure everyone's safe at this time. And it's a critical time because we know, looking at the economic trajectory that we were on prior to this COVID thing, we were having record sales in all sectors. Mm -hmm. January and February were incredible. And for us, it's one of those things where everything came to a screeching halt. And we are really making sure that we're providing those resources to help businesses survive and thrive during this period as much as possible. 
So there's an irony that's going on in our community. The majority of businesses are dealing with setbacks and shortages and having to do temporary layoffs and adjust to what's going on. But there are a few sectors that are thriving because of this. And so what we focused on is those who are looking for jobs, directing them in those areas. So for example, some of the areas now, since the SBA loan thing has come out, there are areas in the finance sectors that they're bringing on people, temporary workers. There are areas in the cleaning businesses that are cleaning behind COVID patients, behind the students in the dorms, behind the apartments where they've left. And that huge demand and they're hiring. So what we're trying to do is keep abreast of what's going on and pivot and let people know where those jobs are available today, understanding the challenges that are happening in your traditional industry. And so with that reassurance, we want to make sure we're bringing our community along and facing the reality of what's going on. We have a new normal now, and it's kind of, you've heard people refer to 9-11, how things shifted in security and airports. Well, that's what's going on today. We have a serious shift. We were thinking that a lot of our online learning and changing of jobs and the way things would be working at home would take five to 10 years. We're predicting that this is gonna happen by 2030, thinking about 80% of what we're doing today is gonna be very different. And we've done it within the past three weeks. You know, so this is how quickly things are moving. There's an exponential change that's happening. So the requirements that are gonna be needed in a community that we looked at luxuries, broadband for everyone, especially with enough bandwidth, that's a requirement with kids in school, parents having to work, different things utilizing the system. So it's how do we help connect those dots? We've been integrally involved working with the city to help feed the homeless. I mean, we have some folks that really need some help. They can't shelter in place because they don't have a place. So how do we help meet those needs? And we have tremendous community partners that have stepped up and really done an incredible job. Individual businesses, restaurants feeding them. We have groups like, uh, I think this Wednesday, you'll have Pomodoro feeding the whole uh, Gainesville police force. You know, and after that, they plan to feed the sheriff, all of our first responders, then our fire department and EMTs. And you can get countless groups and restaurants that are doing similar things and feeding, you know, the Ronald McDonald House and feeding, you know, different groups, stepping up during their time of need also, but they're giving. And so what we're really trying to do is make sure we focus on how do we support one another by buying gift cards, by ordering out, by whatever we're doing, the EGNV, you know, what's for dinner, what's, you know, making sure that we're promoting and helping one another at the same time, because there's gonna be a critical opponent. And we're really starting to work on that right now at the chamber and with the city and different things. So how do we come out of this economic recovery? How do we prepare for when this ends? because we're gonna be a different community operating by a different set of rules for a period of time, and how do we make sure we maximize the opportunity for all of our businesses? Yeah, Eric, so I mean, one of the things that I've noticed has been this huge increase in communication, right, from the Chamber of Commerce. I mean, newsletters, I've, like I've gotten two or three newsletters a day where most people would like get super frustrated with that. These have been super valuable, super like informative. I mean, it's been almost like I've been craving the next one. You know, it's like, it's like, what's next? What's next? So I think you guys have done a phenomenal job of like really just getting that communication to the, to the business community. Um, I really want to get, I'm really, really curious um, as to the first actions, you know, because at the same time, like I understand 
your like the purpose of the chamber and you know i've I've been heavily involved with you guys and we've done some incredible stuff (laughs) i like i i I am a chamber advocate for sure so if anybody's listening to this and you are not a member of the chamber of commerce i highly encourage you to become a member of the chamber of commerce these guys are doing incredible work um and, and all members of the chamber team so um but that's, so that's that's my plug there, but <laughs> but um, I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But my next my, my my thing is like I really I'm really curious as to when this thing started to go down, and you guys you guys are hearing it hearing it for the you know like we we've all kind of heard about it. We knew it was overseas. Wow. There was a little bit of this denial of like ah like it ain't like we're okay. It's it's over. It's over there. That's that's yeah. their that's their problem. Kind of like we got our, our own stuff to worry about over here. And that's probably not the case with everybody. It's not fair for me to say that. But like, but you know, I think there was just a little bit of denial. And then all yeah. of a sudden, you start hearing about cases popping up in the U.S. We start yeah. hearing about like case pop up in Florida. We hear about the first case in Alachua County. You know, like, yeah. and, and then it becomes more of a reality of like, uh, okay, this is this is going to be a problem. And what were the first actions that you took? What were the conversations like with the team at the chamber? You know, I would love to just hear some of that. Sure. That's a great question, Colin. So what we did was about three weeks ago, we uh, brought in our leadership team at the chamber of just internal staff. And we were in our conference room, the Alatra room. And our biggest thing is really thinking about if this is going down the way we think it is and what we've seen happen overseas, how can we make sure we don't become another Italy was our conversation at that time. This was the beginning. uh, Spring break was coming up, people getting ready to take off. And we're like, well, what can we do that's best? And so one of the first things we did was first started brainstorming on how we can provide value to our members during this period. And I have to give uh, Shaw Attic, our um, communication specialist, a lot of credit. He said, well, the biggest thing you want to do, there's going to be tons of information. And if we're putting out anything, we want to make sure that we're putting out value. We don't want to put out everything. We want to make sure it's value so that our members know that they can come to our site and get connected where they need to be connected. It's valuable information that's going to impact their business, impact their employees, impact their families. But we can't put everything out there else. We will no longer be uh, relevant. We would just be another voice and that mass of voices going out. And I think that was really critical in the beginning for Shaw sharing that with us. And we really took that to heart because there was a lot of stuff coming at us. But what we wanted to do was make sure. So one of the first things we did was actually uh, close our door to the public and sent that out. You know, that, you know, because we wanted to protect our employees. And then we have some employees that are a little bit more mature than some of us. And they've been at the chamber. I, I tease our receptionist, Ms. Pauline. She's a huge, huge icon to the chamber. She's seen, I think, six chamber presidents come and go. You know, I'm like, hey, don't be getting rid of me too quickly. You know, they just laugh, you know, that kind of thing. And I absolutely so, adore her. I absolutely so, adore her. She is amazing. And so there are certain individuals we asked to go home just to protect them because they fell within that age limit. And then we also had others that were a little more energetic um, and younger and our chamber thing and had been to a lot of social gatherings around that time. We were like, hey, just go and work from home. And I just like make sure everything's fine, you know. And we kept a skeleton crew over there at the chamber. And um, we did that for a week. And within that next week, 
we transitioned to really everyone working at home remotely because everyone had laptops, connection, that kind of stuff. We had that ability. And so it made for an easier workplace. And then we would just go in as needed. The whole discussion was making sure we're providing value and help and resources. So um, probably about two and a half weeks ago, when the SBA first approved that loan on a Wednesday, we made sure we had contacted our local uh, SBA um, director, which was Michael Chung, to set up a podcast for the next day. We didn't want to wait 24 hours. We got on the phone with him that day, set up everything, made sure it was there. So by the next day, less than 24 hours, we were having a podcast with Michael after that um, whole process had approved because we wanted to make sure every business in Latrell County had a leg up and had an opportunity to even submit their applications to him to get a look at an approval before they went to the state or whatever, you know, get that guidance and that feedback. We wanted to make sure that we were providing relevant details. So we were following all the bills in the House and the Senate to make sure that whatever we can put input on and give through the state chambers and through the U.S. Chamber to make sure we're representing our small businesses, that was critical. The next component that we really found to be really important was the uh, essential businesses component. And that was one that comes out of CISA. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but that's the cyber security and infrastructure group on a federal level. They're the ones that put up the essential businesses, had it in place. And they set it up so that states can use these guidelines and put these um, programs in place or counties. And so, and they did it that way because they knew that some states would be a little more reluctant than some counties. And so they gave a level of control that the smaller you get, the more local you got, the more control you had. So when Alachua County announced theirs, they shared that these were the minimums. And if the city of Gainesville wanted to increase the requirements or Alachua or Newberry or whatever, they could. But those were the minimum standards that were in there. We as a team really started working and started fielding hundreds of calls from our members that wanted to find out if they qualified or if they met the exemption or how can they write an application to become an exempt company. And so we spent that second week really focusing on that. And I think there were like 300 applications that went in while we we're talking with the county commissioners, the county manager, you know, the mayor, the city manager, working through this dialogue on what are we doing that's best for our community. We wanted to keep as many businesses up and running as possible, as safe as possible, but our priority was really protecting our citizens. And so that created the dialogue that we went through until we transitioned into this next week. And the governor jumps in, which is wonderful, and put a statewide ban because we started noticing a little flattening out of those areas that had the stay-at-home in place, but we saw exponential growth in those areas where, number one, there weren't any diagnosis before we were watching that growth happen. And so now you just about have probably almost every county, if there's maybe one or two left, that may be it in the state of Florida. But when we implemented it, there were quite a few that didn't have it. And so it's a combination of what can we do as a chamber, because there was a huge outcry for PPE reaching out to find out what our members can do from a manufacturing standpoint, a supply standpoint. We have a lot of biotech businesses that may have PPE sitting there that they can hospitals and stuff can use to help. What can we do as individuals to coordinate and help? We have incredible manufacturers that are doing the 3D printing and creating the reusable mask and the different things. It's just like, what can we do? And 
be a vehicle to bribe and bring everyone together to work with the county and the city and all of our healthcare facilities. Yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's what's incredible about these times, you know, challenges like this. Um, I've said it over and over and over again, you know, and it's funny that you kind of referenced 9-11 before because that's, that's exactly uh, the reference that I used. The one that I remember was post 9-11 where, you know, and actually, I mean, during 9-11 where people were sacrificing themselves for their neighbors, for people that they didn't know, um, you know, really coming together as a community. Uh, we're definitely seeing that right now. And I've, I've been really proud of how Gainesville has responded um, and, and really pulled together as a community. Um, so, so yeah, mad, mad props to, to our community for really coming together on this. Um, really, really curious if there's been any conversations with the university of Florida, um, you know, UF obviously is a, is a vital part, you know, to this community. Um, businesses like mine absolutely depend on college students being here. Um, you know, the university of Florida sent everybody home for what was supposed to be two weeks. Um, completely understand why they extended it and said, you know, it's gonna be the rest of the semester. Now they're talking the rest of the summer. Um, you know, from an economical standpoint in our community, like businesses like mine, where it's 80% scooter sales, and now the chance of us selling anything uh, between now and August are pretty slim. Um, that's going to have significant impact on us. Uh, obviously, there would be significant impact on other businesses as well. I'm just wondering if, if you guys have had any conversations with, you know, with UF, what do those look like? What's on, what's on their mind? I know that they're trying to protect the students and, and we want to protect the students. We want to protect everybody. Um, but just really curious if there's been any conversations there. Absolutely. So it's really neat. One of the first calls I received from the university and the follow-up and a lot of emails back and forth with them. And I will tell you, we are truly blessed to have the university and those resources here. What's really neat is, you know, they're such an engaged community partner to check on the well-being of the business community. And not only that, the resources they have out there and that they're putting on their website. And we've been encouraging people at the chamber to look at it, some of the most unique stuff that's going on. They're really the focus on coming up with solutions and working on cures. And I mean, to know that we have companies here that are working on solutions for this virus right now that have come out of the university, that's amazing. Um, a lot of the strategic planning and even the research from one of the uh, university professors and uh, or physicians that came up with uh, using the SteriGuard, you know, that's even more effective than the N95 mask. You know, that there's a tremendous amount in our community from all the hospitals, all the uh, biotech, all of the, you know, VA, the um, nursing homes, everything that use any kind of sterilization type material. It's amazing that we have this here that we can use for masks and materials. And so I can say the university has been at the forefront of really working on solutions. I can tell you one of the most heartfelt um, correspondence I got was reading a response from Dr. Fox to one of the students. It was incredible. This is a student, you know, loves Gainesville, loves being a student here, understands why she had to go home, go to this place where her parents moved and she knows nobody or anything, you know, all of her best friends here at UF and the struggle, you know, of being away from here. And she represents so many students, but she understands the importance and the call Dr. Fox made and that all of us are dealing with. What's really neat is that in there, he really felt her pain 
but there was nothing more important to him than the safety and making sure whatever we do as a community and as a university erring on safety and protecting the students because if we do that we can all come back yeah absolutely you know, and it's as tough as it is everyone's in this boat together you know we're a community that has grown with the university's growth and built around that and we're truly blessed of having it here and the impact that, you know, that immediate impact that they felt was a ripple going right throughout our community that everyone felt. Right. Um, Eric, have you ever, uh, have you guys talked about or even like processed any of the long-term impact from this thing? I know we're very much in a like, what do we need to handle now? Like, what do we need to focus on now? And, and I totally get that. Uh, it, but it's interesting because, you know, me as a small business owner, I've even started like projecting a few months out and, and even like longer than that, thinking like, hey, you know, like our scooters, for example, our scooters, Vespa scooters are manufactured in Italy. Right. Right. And like yeah. the supply, the supply chain, this is the first time I've ever experienced anything or seen anything on a like this on a global scale. You know, normally yeah. it's like community and, and hey, even take 9-11. That was, that was a national, you know, I'm sure, like, don't get me wrong, I understand there was worldly impacts from that as well. But sure. in, terms, in terms of, like, that was more of a national thing. And this is more of, this is like, this is completely global. Like, everybody is being affected by this in some, you know, some form yeah. or capacity. And, and now I'm even thinking about, well, what if my, what if my manufacturer – what if my manufacturer and their people can't get back to work and, you know, and they're not manufacturing scooters and those scooters aren't being shipped to the United States and those scooters aren't making their way to my showroom. Like right now we're good because we have that inventory, but I mean, like what, what is on, on your mind looking at this thing, you know, a year from now, like what, have you guys even thought that through at all or? So as part of our economic recovery plan and some of our internal discussions as a team, we're looking at, to me, there are certain components that are really critical um, tied to recovery. So you bring up a great point. We were such a global community, okay? So touched by every part of the world today in a way that we were never touched before. So it's not just about us recovering. It's all of our supply chains and partners and everyone else recovering also in those relationships. So I'll give you the great example right now. At a time when nobody's really driving around or doing much of it, we're watching fuel price plummet to record numbers, right? You're watching a glut come out of Russia, a glut come out of our Arab countries, and we're already the world's largest supplier of fuel right now. And it's like all of these things are playing a role. And so in terms of how do we come out, I'm going to share this word that you've probably heard quite a bit, but we're going to probably hear a lot more in the next year. Individuals, companies, communities are going to have to pivot. This is a new world we're in. We're watching some manufacturers do that already. So take Bacardi, you know, and I was reading a story with them in their Jacksonville plant, you know, and they're all over the world. What they're doing is they're converting. They're not making any more rum right now. They're making uh, phenomenal, you know, uh, hand sanitizers that they're shipping out all over the world because there's a need for so many of these things. People are pivoting. 
in terms of looking at what is that demand? Where is that change coming? Our community has just taken a huge shift exponentially. And so companies, groups, and everyone, we're gonna all have to pivot. So we're here talking today from our homes as opposed to a studio. We pivoted. <coughs> For us to recover, we're gonna all have to shift. We watched the restaurants make that shift with takeout and delivery services. You know, we watched living bars doing their creating their cocktails and doing, you know, people had to pivot to survive. And this is not gonna end shortly. We're gonna continue have to be creative and transition to whatever we have to do to make sure we're providing value to the community. Because the ways we used to do it historically may not be pertinent anymore as we move forward in the next few months to a year. I'm gonna jump in now and ask a couple questions, Eric. What I have is, you know, Gainesville kind of set apart from the rest of the the country, say, and the big big thing being football season, right? I'll, I'll get there eventually. We're a little too far away uh, from August, from September, to start worrying about it, or are we? Like, you know, it's such a huge thing. Like other years past, I, you know, you talk about the economic impact of losing one game, you know, getting rained out or something like that, or uh, you know, lightning out, uh, but we're not too far away from talking about the possibility of losing multiple games or a season. So uh, at what point does that start weighing on, on decisions that you're making initiatives, uh, other businesses and, and do you start strategizing about how to handle that or you just, is it, is it wait and see and, and get a little bit closer to whether that's going to happen or not? Or, or what do you think about it? Thank you. Great question, Mike. I, um, I don't think a wait and see is a good approach. Um, I love to be a lot more proactive. One of the things that I think we've always had an opportunity and never really embraced as much as we should is the support of that huge economic engine that the you know, University of Florida Athletic Department provides to this community. We all as residents benefit from it, from the Hotels being packed from, you know, Marion County down to Columbia County with folks coming in for games to restaurants, shopping, everything that happened. We all benefit from that. And one of the things that I think this is going to give us is an opportunity to really embrace that in a much larger and deeper scale. You know, that really brings more passion behind our value of Gator Nation. So years ago, we were talking about Gator Nations everywhere. And we would just say that and we would go in there. But I really believe when it comes down, when you understand the economics of the impact that the University of Florida at Santa Fe College plays in this community, we really need to embrace it in a way that we never had a revelation before. And I think our businesses going through this will help make that happen. I'll give you another example. Uh, last week, I um, got an email. I've been uh, chatting with the folks from Gator National. So we had to cut that off right in the middle of that process. You know, we um, had our event and when that word came on what's going on, you know, we shut it down and, you know, they're committed to coming back this year, you know, on the same level they were going to do before, you know, their March. So it's one of those kind of things where they value us and that's the largest engine, you know, thing that brings in, I mean, people coming from all over and stay for weeks. And so for me, it's one of those kind of things, Mike, you're absolutely right. 
we can't wait. That's why that dialogue happens now. So the university will make a decision on when the games and what will happen and we'll go along. But what we can do from an economic recovery standpoint is really start building in that community pride and support and building that trust for Gators from all over to want to come back and be comfortable coming to the games and being here and supporting them. You know, and that's what we can do in the interim, that preparation on how do we as a community come together to support that economic engine that is very critical to so many of our businesses locally. And, and on, on that note, or similar to it, I think that one of the things we talked about 9-11, and, and, and it was obvious, that, at least to me, that the fallout from that was going to be long-lasting. It was never going to be a return to normal there. Right. One of the things I think that's interesting about this, you could make that argument that we're never going to go back to the way things were, but I think a lot of people do still treat this as it's a light switch thing. Like one day it's just going to be over and business is going to return to normal. Um, so I think that that's interesting because you have some people that are going to be eager to go back and go back to their local businesses and treat things as normal. And there will be some consumer fear about getting back into the world. Um, so it just kind of begs the question, you know, you say, say we have football season or, you, you know, we run the Gator Nationals. Do you, is there, is there a worry or how do you calm those fears? Do you calm those fears um, navigating both sides of the people that want to return to normalcy and the people that are embracing the fact that it's never going to be the same way? So Mike, I think that's an excellent question. One of the things I, I love to watch what um, other nations have done uh, especially those that are coming down on the downturn and flattening the curve, there is a lot more screening. So you're going to watch, you're going to see people walking around with masks after we've come out of this thing and flattening as a precaution. We're seeing that in other countries right now. They're mandating that people walk around with a mask so that I would not pass on anything to you. There are concerns if there are going to be secondary type infections and stuff coming back through. So it's going to be a process and a transition. So we're going to operate differently. As you go into buildings, everyone is there going to be there with one of those thermometers, you know, at my head, you know, beep, you know, making sure I'm cool, you know, to come in. We're going to watch things just like in 9-11, we start having people opening up their bags, you know, to check and see what's going on. There's going to be a new normal. We have to go back to that P word. We're going to have to pivot and transition as we're building that trust. People are gonna to have to see us taking precautions, you know, and build that trust and they'll come back time. Now, you know, it's funny when we go into a basketball game, for, I mean, you know, I know my wife, you know, it's like, you got the line I can walk through and then she's in the one with checking the bag, you know, and I'm just standing there patiently with all the other spouses, you know, or guys waiting on the girlfriends that come to, you know, and then we move on in. It's, you know, it's going to be a day by day process. The beautiful thing about it is there are vaccines that are being worked on that are going to tremendously help this, but we don't know if there's going to be another respiratory kind of illness in the future like this. So we're going to have things that are different. You know, Colin asked earlier about what I did with the team. I said, uh, one of the first things when we sat down, I said, you know, Japanese, I think, had this figured out centuries ago. You know, they would all bow and look at it, and they kept these social distances. And, you know, and one of the things that hit me when I went to Japan the first time was really seeing how clean everything was, even at the airport. I mean, as soon as our bags came off the terminal, a guy jumped on and he was polishing the whole thing down after each flights, bags came through, you know, spraying down the wipe, and this is way pre-COVID, you know, and I said, no wonder they didn't have this spike over there as densely populated 
they are, they have practices that have been around for centuries and maybe it's because of what's happened in the past, you know, and they're very obedient people when it comes to government regulations and stuff and everyone complied with their distancing and wearing their mask and, you know, washing their hands and you don't see it. And I think we have to imitate those best practices around the world, you know, so that we can protect our community in the future. It's going to be a challenge for me after this is all done because I'm a hugger. <laughs> is, Eric, are you not going to want to hug me anymore, man? Like, <laughs> There's not going to be not wanting to, but I will respect you so much. <laughs> I will give you a bow, you know? Well, think about it. Even, you know, royals, historically, you didn't go and touch them and touch their hands. You would bow or the women would curtsy, but you kept that distance. You didn't go past, you know? And I wonder if this came from some of the past challenges historically with illness, you know, yeah. where they see an audience where you are getting close to the marks, you know, and yeah. uh, you weren't, definitely weren't touching them. <laughs> I, I'm curious. I'm curious on your opinion on something because, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of these articles kind of come up um talking about how this thing has probably been here since december like november december of last year um that there was a lot of respiratory illness and doctors kept kind of saying oh like you have a respiratory infection and they kind of like you know and and i'll be honest you know i've been i've been what i would say super sick for me um Mm -hmm. and like I, what it was probably it was end of January end of January and like the entire month of February like I had I had this respiratory infection like this this thing like I was having I mean the symptoms that were described were the symptoms that I had and and I kept you know I'm like oh like I'm healthy I'm young like I'll fight it off and eventually my parents were like go to the doctor I went to the doctor they gave me some antibiotics it didn't work they gave me a steroid it helped a little um ended up sending me in to get a chest x-ray i got a ct scan a lot like a lot of stuff and and, and came back as like you know acute bronchitis like you're like you're good you know Mm -hmm. just (laughs) but but man there's been a lot of articles out there saying like hey the the fact is like we didn't have the testing in november december and january people didn't know like this thing has this thing you know have you ever thought this thing been around since the end of 2019 and we just didn't know and and now we're creating this you know there's a lot of people you know like i understand the seriousness of it but i'm also like in a in a weird place when they're like if if we treated this at like a normal uh flu or respiratory infection would we be in the state that we're in right now from an economic standpoint and i'm not saying that that's that's right like i think i think we're absolutely doing what we're supposed to be doing knowing the impact of this thing and seeing it um but but i'm just kind of curious like have you read any of these articles have you seen any of this i have and um you know it's it's one of the things that i think if it had been here longer we would have much more cases and it would be much more positive i think um you know one of the articles i read where there was a big conference and Wuhan is where everything kind of got out. But prior to that, it was kind of contained to that area. And the thought is, if it had been around longer, we would have a lot more positive cases right now, only because it's so contagious. So I'll tell you, I was talking to, uh, we're very fortunate in this community to have some incredible experts that have worked at the CDC and they lead 
you know, infectious disease for UF, the VA, you know, um, North Florida and the folks. And I was talking to one of these guys and he was sharing with me on how infectious this is. And this is one of the things that we have to really be careful about because it's not like a regular flu or something else because where we talk about droplets. When we're talking about this and the reason for the mask and the face shields, more importantly, is because with Corona, it's like 60 times smaller than like a droplet kind of thing. So, you know, when you wake up in the mornings, the way he described it to me, and you look at the window and you see this haze in your room, you think it's probably dust. So those are, you know, the vapor, you know, that's, that's out there. And that's 60 times smaller. And it can float on the wind and go about for like three hours and people don't even think about it. You know, so we're talking about this six feet thing. If this thing's out there blowing or whatever, and then I breathe it in, it's a problem. That's why if we, you know, protect ourselves. Shared an example of a couple uh, south of us, well, actually north of this area, that had an anniversary party and invited a lot of their friends from New York and Miami. The wife was real cautious, didn't want to have anything. The husband kind of poo-pooed it kind of thing. Everyone that attended this event has been positive now. And this could have been prevented. Yeah. And this individual oversees infectious disease stuff from the VA from Jacksonville to the Georgia board all the way down to Tampa, you know, and they're dealing with these kind of cases. And those are the kind of examples that exist. That's how infectious it is. And I don't think we realize, and we've never had, even if you came to a party with bronchitis, you're not going to infect all the people that are there at that event. This is the difference. And I don't think we as a community have grasped that. And when I look at the communities that have really undergone a huge spike, you look at what they're doing today. I mean, they got like painters overalls on. They got a mask, a face shield in front of the mask and some goggles. And they're walking around with their thermometer and anyone they meet kind of. It's, it's a different level. And I don't think we realize how contagious it really is because it's an aerosol. I'll give another example. A story I heard was um, Dr. Fauci, I think it is, the from NIH, the guy who's been through this with like six different presidents. So a year ago, they had a recording of him. He was at a conference and, you know, and he was just giving a speech and some keynote thing or whatever. And they asked him some questions afterwards. And they said, hey, what's the one thing that keeps you up at night? This is about a year ago. And he was like, nothing keeps me up at night. I go to bed exhausted. I sleep like a baby kind of thing. But I will tell you what I worry about every day when I go to work. And it's some new virus that will be aerosolized because we're not ready to handle that in our nation yet. We're not prepared to handle any kind of virus that will attack, you know, our bronchial or lung system that's aerosolized. That's, that's my biggest concern. And here it is a year later, we're living it. Yeah. Um, have you guys had any like are you in the know in terms of what businesses have closed in Gainesville from this thing um what are you guys doing to like to keep tabs on it like what are you know because I don't know obviously obviously it's one of the reasons why we're really focused on on doing this podcast and kind of shifting to a daily format is just trying to get as much information out there and help businesses navigate this thing um in order to not close and in order to not lay off people um so, so what are, you know, what's been the impact thus far? Um, any information you can give us there? 
Yeah, so the impact has been huge. Um, there are a lot of businesses that have slowed down dramatically. There are some that have closed completely, hoping that it'll just be a few weeks or a month at the most. Our concern is making sure that anyone that can do business viably, you know, remotely, we want to encourage to do that. You know, if you can take, stay in touch with your customers and do business remotely or whatever, we want to encourage that. Part of the reason for that is to make sure that the more people are still operating, even if it's not at the pace they were before, the more likely they would be better and easier to recover. Now, there are certain industries where, I'll give an example, my wife, the American Dental Association came out a couple weeks ago that said, look, hey, shut down, you shouldn't be operating unless you're seeing an emergency. If you're dealing with an emergency that can keep someone out of an ER, you know, and then enter into that whole fray where they need to keep all those resources available for true emergencies tied around the COVID-19 case, fine, you can treat those patients, see those or whatever, or refer them to someone, you know, if it's a specialist or whatever that's needed. But your general checkups, general dentistry, that kind of stuff, they wanted to close it. So there are certain groups that had no options. There are some that can operate partially in certain segments, like we you know with the restaurants, they can do the takeout, but can't do the sit down and dine in. So we're working with everyone. And our biggest thing, especially those that we knew were shutting down and couldn't do anything, to get access to funds right away. That's been our focus up to this, this week has really been making sure we're given all the guidance to get access to funds. We're also working with the state and national chamber to get there's certain groups that weren't included to make sure they can have access to funds. So we had um, all of our 501c3s, fours, uh, fives, we had all of the charitable organizations on that list to be qualifiers for funds with the uh, PPP and um, all got excluded except two, the 501c3s and the 501c19s. C3s, the charitable organizations, 19 are veterans. So you take your C4s, C5s, those that deal with farmers, farm bureaus, that kind of stuff, all of the, some of those things I consider essential, eating and food and farmers, man, but those were eliminated. C6s, you know, and so we're working to try to get those in the next phase. So we have a policy hat that we're working with based on information we're hearing from our members and we're reaching out. We're reaching out to all of our members and you'll be getting a call, Colin, and, you know, really finding out making sure you understand the resources that are there for you and what can we do to help you and find out, you know, so those calls are going to every business and uh, we're looking at not only chamber members, we're looking at past chamber members, those who've never been chamber members. We're reaching out to our community to help everyone that we can, because we understand that when it's time to shift to, you know, our redeployment of really building our infrastructure, it, that communication is key. That's why we wanted to make sure we were out there with pertinent information for our businesses and being a resource for them to call and reach out at any time. And we're talking all businesses within our county. We want to make sure that they know we're here to help them. Yeah, I know we're getting towards the end of our time, um, but Mike had one more question. So are you good? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I just, I just wanted to ask you, hey, so, um, you know, we talked about some behavioral changes with some pivots to go cocktails, you know, like I'm an optimist. So, so what's yeah. one thing that, that maybe you're hoping stays at, you know, when we get to the other side of this, um, that, that you kind of hope has the lasting impact? Well, you know, one of the things that we knew coming into this, we were known as the most charitable community in the state of Florida. 
So our city was known as that we got that recognition, got that award going into this. And this has only proven that to me. But one of the things I've told people about our community and our businesses is that we are very resilient. And we are resilient because we have the ability to adapt. And one of the things I want us to continue to run with as we leave and transition out of this whole COVID-19 um, episode is really that we keep that at the forefront of who we are, being an adaptable, resilient community that supports and cares about everyone in it, and that we're not leaving anyone behind. You know, when we rolled out our Collaborate 2025, our whole tagline was creating a stronger region and a better life together. And that's for everyone, all of our residents. And I believe that through our creativity, we can continue to adapt and continue to be resilient and just continue to keep this collaborative spirit that we're seeing operating in our community. We're seeing it with our county leaders. We're seeing it with our city leaders. We're seeing it with our businesses, our community as a whole, our nonprofits, our for-profits. We're watching everyone reach out and be creative in ways to help one another and come up with solutions to the challenges out there. So Mike, that would be my biggest takeaway is that we continue to push this, that we would embrace our economic engines in this community in a way we never have before and be there for one another as we come and we reach this recovery period. Okay, and final question, Eric. If like, what, what can Mike and I do to help? Well, this is the great thing. You guys are living this challenge right now and you're being very vocal and by having this podcast is incredible. You're reaching so many of our community members, you're reaching so many businesses right now. Continue to spread the word, continue to bring these vehicles because people are looking for access, they're looking for knowledge, they're looking for information that can help them and impact them. You know, one of the things, you know, we we're talking about before all this happened was really our action teams that we can focus on areas to strengthen our community. This is gonna take an even greater priority than we even imagine, you know, as we focus on rebuilding our community. And so I just wanna make sure they continue to share the message, let people know they can reach out to us. We're here to help our community in any way possible. We only can do this through our members and them sharing their concerns, issues, or challenges. Please continue to advise all of your listeners if they have issues or concerns, come to our website, call our telephone numbers, you know, they, they go directly to our cell phones, let us know how we can help. Okay, let's wrap up with that information then. How can they contact you? Like give us the phone number, give us the website, all, all that good stuff. Okay, so right now you're looking at um, the Greater Gainesville uh, Chamber. And if you just put that in, you'll pull up. We have several components and ways that you can reach us right now. So you can just go to the Greater Gainesville website, you know, greatagainswellchamber.com and pull it up and you will have access to all of our numbers, all of our information. You'll see the current Gainesville Together webpage. It's showing what's happening during this period. You'll also see the Gainesville COVID-19 page. These are all individual pages on the Gainesville Chamber. But if you just go to the gainesvillechamber.com, you will be able to see all these pages, all these access you can pull up, all of our team members, all of our contact information. And please, that's why we're here. We want to keep it same book, gainsfullchamber.com. Eric, man, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming on. Thank you to the chamber, to you and the team for everything that you're doing for the community right now. Um, absolutely love you guys. Um, honored to know all of you. 
And, uh, and if you're, again, like if you're listening and you're not a member of the chamber of commerce, you need to be a member of the chamber of commerce. Uh, th this is an organization that's doing incredible work for our community and I'm, I'm proud to know all of you guys. So keep it up, man. Thank you so much. It looks like you might've froze again. <laughs> Did you freeze? Yeah. No, nah, I, I, <laughs> I was like, are you doing the fake, the zoom, the zoom freeze fake where you're like, the zoom freeze face. Like you just freeze and you fake it. Hey man. <laughs> Um, thanks, thanks again for your time, Eric. And uh, everybody, this is the WHOA GNV podcast, the podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa. Eric, give us your best whoa. Whoa! Ah. <laughs> I like that. I like that, that one. Danesville, we'll see you later. <laughs>